Welcome back to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, continuing to ring in the new year of 2020 with visionaries and uh, prognosticators, people who are trying to get get out ahead of where things are going. And uh, one of our favorite guests who's been doing that for a uh, full 10 years now is Rohit Bargava. Uh, Rohit is the founder of the Non-Obvious Company. He's a Wall Street Journal uh, best-selling author. He's been writing uh, the Non-Obvious Guide uh, for 10 full years. He has many, many books uh, to his credit. He's a keynote speaker, uh, really a uh, wonderful guest on the show. Uh, and I would like to welcome Rohit Bargava to Trending in Education. Welcome back, Rohit. <laughs> Thank you. I always love having a chat with you. Awesome. And uh, you've been doing the trend spotting thing uh, formally through some kind of yearly release since 2011. So this is the 10th year in which you've looked out uh, at what's going on in the world around you. You've spent a lot of time with post-its and collages. Your, your method is very interesting and uh, we, we've talked about it many times over the years. We could probably uh, dig in a little bit more to it now. But, uh, but 2020 must have been a fascinating year for you, uh, considering it's your 10th uh, year of looking for non-obvious trends. Uh, and it is the round number of 2020 setting us up for, uh, for the next decade, which feels very space age and futuristic. Uh, what was it like uh, setting up for your trend spotting book uh, this 10th time heading into 2020? You know, the biggest difference I think was that it really felt like I was taking the greatest hits of the greatest hits, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. So every year, like you said, I, I do something pretty, pretty crazy, if you think about it, which is I release a new version of the same book with 15 brand new trends. And so, right. you know, logistically, what that means is that I'm republishing this book with the entire middle section, probably about 80 pages, totally rewritten. So I essentially take out 30, 80 pages from the last year's edition and replace them with 10 new trends. And so right. every year I have 15 new new trends, which if you do the math means well over a hundred trends over the years. Yep. And this year, what I decided to do because of the round number and, and being a decade and really it, it giving me a chance to look backwards is I started by saying, okay, well, let's look at those hundred trends and let's see what the commonalities were between those hundred trends. Mm -hmm. And the, the benefit of, of doing that, and the reason why I think it worked in this case is because every year, what I've also done with my team is I've gone back, looked at the trends that were predicted and graded them based on whether they continued to have an impact on our culture and how we right. think or not, right? So right, right. there's been a lot of transparency. And so I know which trends, you know, they didn't all equally impact our world over time. Right. right. So a lot of people say, well, uh, look, you're anytime you're doing trends like that's speculation. Right. You don't know what's going to you just kind of put it out there. And a lot of right. times what we see is people put these trends out there and then there's not a lot of accountability to say, look, did I get this right? Right. I, I've stolen uh, your quote uh, frequently of the Ask a Futurist, whether uh, their prediction has come true yet. The, their answer is either yes or not yet. So uh, so thank you <laughs> yeah, for that it's... one. I, I borrowed it liberally because it's uh, pretty spot on. Yeah, it is. You know, and I, and I read a lot of work from futurists. And look, they're not bad people. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't typically describe myself as a futurist because I haven't usually looked at things on that sort of timescale. But also, yeah. uh, I really 
focus not so much on what could happen, but on what is happening that will happen more. Right. And it seems like it's maybe a small distinction, but right. when I describe what a trend is, my, my definition of it is that it's a curated observation of the accelerating present. Yeah. And that's a big thing, right? Because mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, look, something's happening right now. Uh, and because that thing is happening and it's changing how we see the world or how we choose to buy something or how we choose to sell something or how we learn, right? Which is totally relevant for what we're going to talk about. Right. What does that mean for the, the future? And how do right. I use that either myself as an individual or in my organization as an organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I really like the idea of the accelerating presence. At present, it reminds me of William Gibson's quote, uh, you know, the future is here now, it's just not evenly uh, distributed. You know, if you can sense where the future is already here, you know, in some ways, you're not identifying things that will happen in the future. You're identifying things that are already happening today. It's just many of us aren't noticing those things, which, uh, which I guess is where the, the non-obvious uh, side comes in uh so you've you've certainly whetted our appetite uh so thank you for that uh because uh each year it's always fun to to track the the 15 trends and uh there's nice charts and iconography in uh, the non-obvious guides uh they're also very practical guides they tell you what this trend means to you both as an individual as an entrepreneur uh, as somebody uh in a bigger bigger organization um I was scanning through some of your uh, mega trends, uh, Rohit, and uh, they all sound really interesting. I mean, you do a nice job of crafting the language here. Um, are there any that you feel are particularly relevant to uh, learning or, uh, or the, the broader field of education uh, in the next 10 years? Uh, for sure. I mean, I think that to some degree, maybe maybe all of them have some application in terms of learning yep. and education. I mean, there's one in particular that is specifically about how we expect to learn anything faster. I mean, I called it mm -hmm. instant knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that particular mega trend was based on a past trend from a past year that I termed light speed learning, which I know we yep. talked about on the show. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, instant knowledge is, is really the extension of that that says in a world where we can get access to the information we need when we need it, what happens to the value of mastery and wisdom? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's an upside and a downside, right? I mean, the upside is, look, I can access everything. I can watch that YouTube video super quickly and teach myself how to do the bare minimum I need to do. And I can sort of hack that, right? I can do the, right. the growth hacking thing that, you know, and hack my own education and, and yeah. do that specific thing and maybe learn a language faster or, you know, maybe do these things. But at the same time, I'm not spending that concentrated amount of time that, that really in, in the philosophy of learning is what it takes to acquire yeah. that wisdom. And so right. it really is this, like with many of these trends, it's not necessarily only positive or only negative. I mean, there's some positives and there's some negatives. Right, right. Well, it's also that one ties also like we did a show recently on OK Boomer, uh, the trend around the sort of generation, generational strife, whether it's real or sort of uh, perceived. But um, but that is an interesting one, too, where, you know, increasingly the younger generations are are again, this is a broad stereotype to so take it with a grain of salt. But the younger generations are thinking that they have as direct access to the truth as their elders. So I think it does sort of 
compound some of the challenges of don't trust anyone uh, over 30, because now, you know, a sharp 22-year-old um, really has access to all the information that has ever been uh, logged in the world, and she really just needs to have some focused intent to uh, to really get definitive information. Um, yeah, yeah, and and you know it, it, what's interesting about that one, uh, like all of the megatrends, is at the at the back of the of the chapter about it. I take a look back at what the past trends were that informed it. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that one in particular, there were four trends from previous reports that kind of factored into the curation of it, of instant, um, of, uh, you know, of, uh, of this, this trend now of instant knowledge, which was yes. back in 2013, there were two trends that I wrote about one that I called degree free learning, which is mm. essentially what it sounds like, right? People yes. choosing to learn without necessarily needing to have a degree attached to it. Yep. And, uh, something that I called method consulting, which was this idea that entrepreneurs and companies that were doing really well, were now opening, an arm of the company to teach others how to do what they do, sort of the Disney mm -hmm. Institute type of mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and those were both in 2013. In 2014, I wrote about what I call distributed expertise, which was the idea that, that we now have access to expertise that was previously unavailable to us. Right. Uh, so now the modern example of that would be like, I can go online and I could learn how to play the banjo from Steve Martin, right? Right. Um, yeah, right. I didn't have access to that before, and now I do. Right, right. Uh, and then light speed learning, which we talked about, which is we just learn everything faster. Right. And yeah. now instant knowledge, right? So mm -hmm. you can kind of see this progression uh, to say that over these past several years, like when we elevate our thinking, this is the bigger, broader idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, when we were uh, prepping, it reminds me of the idea of, uh, writing for a smart audience and uh, speaking to someone who is not a dummy, uh, someone who uh, is playing with her head up and is trying to get a read on where the world is heading. When that is your intended audience, there's a different level of tone and perspective and uh, in some ways, uh, strong opinions. Um, that uh, that I think there is a hunger for. I'd, I'd love to get uh, your perspective on that because I do think uh, non-obvious certainly comes across to me as as a smart brand. And um, when you're uh, putting these guides together, um, you seem to think somewhat highly of your audience. I, I think you you seem to almost embrace growth mindset uh, in terms of the audience that you're writing to. I totally do. And, and, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is this idea that, yeah, you know, people aren't dummies anymore. And, and in fact, one of the things that we've done with this non-obvious brand beyond this one book is we've launched an entire guidebook series designed for <clears throat> people who expect to be able to learn anything faster. You know, and I, I want to uh, share something with you, with it, which I think you, you and your audience will, will definitely find interesting, which is when we were crafting the vision for this non-obvious guide series, we actually wrote a persona for mm. the audience. Mm -hmm. um, and the audience uh, persona that we, that we wrote, we called the person who would read these guides, the time-starved doer. <laughs> and um, and I, I thought it'd be interesting to just quickly read you like maybe two or three lines of sure. that description, right? So yeah. we named, uh, like with most, I mean, look, I, I grew up in the marketing world. And so yeah. when we, when marketing people write personas, like we name the person we're writing yeah. about. 
a fictional name, right? Like that's sure. the persona. Right. So in this case, the persona was named Arya. Mm -hmm. And uh, it goes, Arya is about to start something new. She's curious, ambitious, and willing to learn, but doesn't have a lot of time for it. Her title doesn't define her, nor does her age. If there's anything that defines her, it's the belief that she's smart enough to learn just about anything quickly. Mm. He's no dummy. Yet she doesn't describe herself as, as an expert at everything and knows sometimes she needs help. Mm. Like that's the mindset, right? Yeah. And so that's what we were trying to write for. And I don't think that a lot of quote unquote guidebooks that are written for business audiences are, are written with that mindset in mind. Right. Yeah, it, uh, it's. I've heard you describe it also as like having coffee with an expert. You know, so correct. Like that, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the tagline. Sort of, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of tone, uh, I think, makes it really readable and digestible, uh, but not sort of uh, not talking down to you, not not expecting you to be less sharp than than you are. You know, so uh, we talk about uh, multi potentialites uh, and polymaths. So uh, you know, the sharp generalist is an interesting. Um, idea uh, and the time starved what was it time starved time starved doer time starved doer uh, that's a that's a good one uh, as well so the sharp generalist who's also a time starved doer uh, will need to get that instant knowledge and you're designing for that persona uh, so uh, super super interesting stuff uh, so we talked about instant knowledge which uh, which I think is uh, super relevant uh, multiple fronts. We also have talked on the show about brain-computer interfaces because we're all waiting for the Neuralink to be fully operational so that we could just download Kung Fu. Uh, you know, it's been it's been 20 years <laughs> since the Matrix and we still can't download Kung Fu. So I, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, where is that? We really, I, I feel like I need it now. Uh, please, right? I mean, you and me both. Uh, but, um, but yeah, with... Um, with the instant knowledge, I think certainly is going to be a relevant one. Are there other ones out there? There's one that I saw you talked about that I, I think uh, captured my imagination a bit too, is the, the notion of attention wealth. Um, I thought that was an interesting turn of phrase and I actually needed to dig into the non-obviousness of that to understand exactly what you were getting at. But I, it felt like a big idea and I think it does, I think it could be positioned as empowering to learners if they begin to truly understand and unlock the attention wealth that they have. So I, I'd love to, to hear your thoughts on, on that one in particular. Uh, and then sure, any others, uh, you know, it's always, uh, it's like, it's like uh, the holiday season just keeps giving uh, when we have uh, Rohit in early January. But, uh, but I'd love to get your thoughts on attention wealth and, uh, and then any others that, that just might capture your imagination. Yeah, attention wealth was really based on something that I think we all know, which is that we're in an information economy, and so our attention is the currency, right? That's not new. A lot of people mm -hmm. have written about and talked about that. Yeah. But what I tried to focus on when it came to attention wealth is if we are in this information com uh, economy, then our attention should generate wealth for us mm -hmm. as opposed to wealth for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are in this flux moment right now where yes there's more and more situations where our data is being used by someone else in order to generate revenue for themselves right i.e facebook right, right. Uh, and so everything that they know about us allows them to serve ads and then they make money on it we don't actually get anything from that right but there's more and more situations like if you think about this new law around privacy in california mm. that are putting this data that everyone has been collecting about us back into our control Mm -hmm. And there's more expectation that we are able to now 
take it back. Uh, even right. on Facebook, there's a way, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but there's a way to download everything that you've ever posted onto Facebook so you get yeah. it back, right? Right, right. And these things didn't necessarily exist several years ago. Uh, right. Even though Facebook's had that for a long time, it's just buried. Right. But um, because that is happening now, like we have the ability to say, look, my attention is worth something. Yeah. And when it, I know that it's worth something and I have the ability to control it, now I can decide who gets it right. more strategically right. based on who's willing to reward me for it. Right. And that well, is and one of these elements of attention wealth that I think is really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And the other aspect that I think is super interesting is that um, when you think of it as wealth, uh, you start understanding how to be judicious about how you spend it, uh, which is the other thing that I think is is a really uh, powerful insight too, where like if you think of all the times when you're absently surfing the internet or uh, playing some mindless uh, game on your mobile phone, you know, that, that same wealth that could be spent learning a new skill or staying current on some, uh, you know, employment trend that might change uh, the prospects for your future career. I mean, obviously we don't need to be uh, maniacal about our, uh, you know, judicious use of our attention. There's times when it makes sense to, to, to kick back and relax. But it, it is interesting to think that all of us have the commodity that is in question, uh, which is our attention. And if we can get, I liked when you were talking about getting control of it, um, and in a lot of ways, you know, that is, I would view that as a learning trend too, like getting more uh, intentional and efficient about how you use your learning time um, to me is almost like a subcategory of uh, attention wealth, which to me ties back to the smart, uh, smart self-improvement trend, lifelong learning trend that, yes. uh, yep. that I think you've, you've been talking about for quite some time. Yeah, I think that when you think about specifically with this idea of attention, I mean, I'll give you a practical example of how I think about it, right? So when I treat attention as something that is a form of wealth, now I start to decide, well, who deserves my attention and who, mm -hmm. do, who deserves my promotion, right? So for example, sometimes I'll see, I just did this the other day, I saw a headline that I thought was just so evil because it was designed to manipulate people. And so I took a screen grab of it and I shared it with my uh, sort of friends and audience on social media without a link. Cause mm. I said, look, this made me angry and I wanted to share it, but I don't want to give them a link mm -hmm. that now gives them more audience because that yep. means it's working. Mm. So, yeah. you know, making those sorts of choices to say, look, I can just take a screen grab of it. I can share it. I share exactly what I want to share. I share my opinion, which is important mm. to me to share, mm -hmm. but I don't give them credit, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm not linking back to it. I'm not driving eyeballs to them. Yeah. And, those are the sorts of trade-offs that you're now seeing people make to say, look, the attention's valuable and I'm going to choose where I spend that attention and where I yeah. don't. Yeah. It, re it reminds me of, uh, we talked recently about digital literacies uh, and some of the work of Doug Belshaw, who's who's super interesting guy out of, out of the UK, but, uh, but he's characterized uh, digital literacies as eight things. Uh, there's like almost like Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences, but the idea that there's, an entirely new set of mindsets and skill sets that are hugely relevant to engaging in the attention economy that we're all living in. But at least as of now, there's, there's very little formal education about any of this. 
which again, to me, brings us back to that informal uh, education, instant knowledge through things like YouTube and podcasts and other formats where um, I think increasingly as stuff um, pivots to empower the, the person who owns the attention, um, I think increasingly educating them and elevating their awareness, treating them as a smart, time-starved doer, um, I think is something that it's on all of us uh, to do to a certain extent. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that um, we do have to elevate um, this sense of personal responsibility, right? I mean, I, I, I actually talk a lot about the idea of non-obvious thinking as a core element of this book. And I know a lot of people will see the book in non-obvious megatrends and think, oh, this is a book about trends. And let me just find mm. out what the trends are. Mm -hmm. But that's actually part two of this book, right? And part yep. one of this book is all about what it takes to be a non-obvious thinker. Mm. And I think that we are, and I just kind of posted about how I happen to believe that 2020 is going to be the year of bullshit. Mm. Um, yeah. And that seems like a negative thing to say, <laughs> and maybe it is on, on yeah. some level. But to me, what that means is we're going to be surrounded by manipulation, especially, I yeah. mean, look, we've got an election this year and politicians yeah. are the biggest manipulators, right? I mean, sure. David yeah. Ogilvy, uh, the legend of advertising, once said that political advertising really ought to be not allowed uh, yeah. because it's the most dishonest form of advertising because it's all right. lies. right. Um, and that's that's true. And they do things with that that you can't do. Like I can't take out an ad saying that my competitor sucks and believes that uh, that you know children should not be allowed to grow up, right? right? But you can take out political ads that say that stuff, right? Um, right. And it's this weird double standard that's just like everybody's doing a money grab, and, and that's just wrong. But yeah, um, what it means I think is when we're in this year of bullshit, uh, we have to be strategically skeptical. Mm -hmm. And that to me is an element of being a non-obvious thinker, not being uh, jaded, right? right. Not being <clears throat> um, just like so skeptical of everything that you can't really even trust anyone. That's not yeah. a good way to live. Like nobody wants mm -hmm. to live like that. Mm -hmm. But I think we can be strategically skeptical and look at something and say, hey, wait a second. Like, is this actually right? I mean, one of the examples I used, uh, which was this, this great article that I came across this week, was all about <clears throat> the most popular list on netflix mm -hmm. and if you look at like what's most popular the most popular shows of the year on netflix <clears throat> one of the things that uh you notice is they seem to have a strangely high percentage of netflix original shows mm. um, as opposed to other stuff that's on netflix and many of the most popular shows of the year quote unquote are things that came out a couple weeks ago Right. So like, how could it be the most popular show of the year if it's only right. been out for a couple of weeks, like as opposed sure. to things people have been watching all year, right? So like right, right. sorts of things should make our, uh, our, our, our bullshit sensors go off right. <laughs> so that we kind of start thinking, hey, wait a second, is this true? Right. Yeah. Well, and that speaks to the underlying crisis of trust that's out there too, where like people don't know where to turn for uh, the truth these days, which is where I think some of your trends, even uh, the one revivalism uh, seemed uh, on point about that, where uh, you know folks are almost gravitating back to simpler truths and more personal understandings of the world around them, uh, in part because I think when you do more the mass media, social media side of things, it just seems like there's so much noise there 
that uh, you know you, you almost want an antidote uh, to it. And uh, I, I do think there is an opportunity for uh, smart brands to help provide the curation function that uh, the non-obvious uh, editorial staff is, is is trying to do. So even when you were talking about you know, a curated uh, perspective on the accelerating uh, present. Um, it does seem like an age of curation uh, is is certainly upon us, and which is why guidebooks like the non-obvious ones, um, you know, I would imagine will do well. I hope they do well in the in the, in the coming coming years. Um, any thoughts on that? And I'd love also to maybe begin to pivot to a broader time horizon, where I know you you typically stick to your guns, and your predictions tend to be. Uh, really just for the one year ahead. But if you've been looking back at 10 years and the 2020s are upon us, I'd love to get uh, get a little bit more of your perspective on the broader megatrends. Maybe it is the megatrends themselves uh, are likely to be relevant uh, for for a good chunk of the 2020s. But uh, but I'd love to get get your perspective on that, both, both the notion of uh, curation and how central that is uh, to to being an effective uh, human and effective uh, enterprise uh, in the 21st century, in the 2020s. And then in particular, anything you think uh, will be uh, specifically relevant to a longer time horizon as we look ahead uh, uh, to like even 2030, like what, you know, let your wheels turn a little bit if you'd like, and I'd love to get some of your perspective on that. I do think that curation is a, a huge opportunity for not just organizations, but also individuals, because mm -hmm. a lot of times what we have heard and, and look in the marketing world, one of the big trends of the last decade has been this shift towards content marketing. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind content marketing is pretty simple. It says, look, marketing works best when you actually have something of value to say instead of just mm -hmm. pushing ads out there and trying right. to demand attention, which makes sense. But in a world where more and more people are creating quote unquote content, uh, the challenge becomes which of that content is, is crap and which of it's good. And, and so yeah. we need more people and more organizations to become curators. Mm -hmm. And I, I do talk a lot about this word of curation and, and the role of a curator because most people, if they're familiar with it, with it at all, know it from the world of museums. And the principle is sort of the same, right? I mean, a curator at a museum takes uh, 200 pieces of art and says, we're going to show you these 20 and put the rest mm -hmm. into storage because mm -hmm. these 20 tell a story that is part of the exhibit. And that's mm -hmm. what a curator does, right? The curator says, this is what you pay attention to, and we're going to remove the rest of it so that we can tell you something meaningful. They don't take mm -hmm. all 200 pieces and stick them up and say, here you go, here's everything. It's not a buffet, right? Right, right. And that, I think, is a is a is a technique that we all can start to use with our ideas and specifically that organizations can use to say, look, we are delivering expertise, particularly in a B2B sense, right? Particularly mm -hmm. in a service oriented sense where what you're selling is expertise, not necessarily a product. Right. Because if right. you're selling expertise and you're able to take that role of a curator, which is something I try and do in my weekly email that I send out every week, yep. right? I say, yep. I read hundreds of stories and I find the five that are most interesting and underappreciated, things that you probably mm -hmm. haven't heard. Mm -hmm. And I'll share those stories because that's the service that I wanna to start to deliver to the audience that pays attention to me to say, look, I'm spending all this time reading all these stories because you have a busy life and it's not part of your business to sit there and do that. Mm -hmm. And so if I can be helpful by doing that for you, then now I can deliver value. 
right? Delivering value to time-starved doers everywhere, uh, which is, <laughs> which is which is great. Uh, and then, what about the the longer horizon? Any thoughts? Uh, like uh, as I was mentioning uh, before we started recording, uh, it, now that it's twenty twenty, it does feel like we're living in the future. And you know, I want my uh, matrix downloads, uh, as I mentioned before. I want my uh, levitation boots. I want I want it all. And uh, it does feel at times like maybe we're not as far along as, as we could be. Uh, but then if you start thinking about the next 10 years, it feels like science fiction, you know, it's going to be happening everywhere. And I'd love to get uh, your perspective as a curator, as a storyteller, uh, as someone who understands some of the narrative elements of uh, looking ahead to what's on the horizon. Uh, any perspectives as the new decade is, uh, is kicking off? Yeah, I, I, I actually spend a lot of time thinking about this because you're right. My usual time horizon is a year. And that's why every past edition of Non-Obvious has had the year on the front cover. It's Non-Obvious 2019, right? Like right. that was the book. And this year, uh, the title is Non-Obvious Megatrends, which, you know, by the way, is much better from a book sales point of view because now I don't right. have a limited shelf life, right? Yeah. Uh, right. So that's one reason. Uh, but the other reason is that the horizon really does expand beyond this one year. And so every one of these megatrends, to me, I was writing thinking, what would someone think if they read this 20 years from now? Mm -hmm. Which was a different way of thinking than I've, I've typically used in past editions of the book and so throughout this process i really spent a lot more time i think qualifying what i was going to write based on whether it would actually last over time mm -hmm. or not yeah and yeah. so i i really do feel like and, and based on some of the early feedback i'm getting people who are reading the book uh, early feel this way too that that the ideas there do uh, expand across a longer time horizon, which I think is really valuable uh, for people. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, in addition to 2020 being uh, a year of bullshit, I think it's also likely a year of prediction and trend spotting. So uh, I think, like I mentioned, I think we're, we're in a good business uh, to be in for the next year or so, because I think everyone is trying to get a read on where things are heading. And, uh, and I, I think the, you know, there's plenty of different directions. You know, it reminds me of uh, any Duke's book, Thinking in Bets, you know, um, it helps to be probabilistic and to think about the different outcomes that might happen. But some of those involve us developing new skills and becoming better curators and becoming more intentional users of our attention wealth. And uh, I think to, uh, to stay on top of your game, I would certainly encourage you to, uh, as a listener, I would encourage you to track down uh, Rohit. And Rohit, where are the best places to, uh, to find you, find your books, uh, dig in further to many of the things we were discussing as part of today's show? Well, if everything works out, then lots of places. <laughs> you know, I've, uh, I've got my site, which is just rohitbardava.com. Mm. You can go to nonobvious.com slash megatrends uh, okay. to find out about the, this book. You can go to nonobvious.com just to find out about everything else we're doing. You mm. should be able to go into local bookstores, into bookstores in the airport to pick up the book as well. I mean, it's, mm. uh, it, it should be in a lot of different places. Yeah, and it does seem like a, a, a great airport uh, read. You know, it's the type of thing uh, where, you know, it's, you can get value, like a, a micro learning is another trend, like you can get value just digesting one or few of these trends. 
and spending a little time thinking about them rather than trying to power through the whole book. Uh, so uh, so that that's a nice nice element. Plus, uh, you know, the visualization and sort of the coherence that goes into the editorial voice is 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 also quite impressive. So. Uh, any parting thoughts, uh, Rohit? It's always wonderful to have you have you on training and education. Yeah, thank you. I know I, I love uh, look. I love the conversations that we uh, have, and we've done them in, in many different places. You know, like with Soundproof Studios, and yeah. like over the years. So it's uh, it's it's always a, a great conversation. And and look, I think that the topic that you uh, talk about and what people are thinking about when it comes to the future of learning is so important to where we need our culture to go, right? I mean, we mm -hmm. want people to be invested in, in better ways of learning and better ways of teaching and, and being mm -hmm. educators and, and uh, educators who deliver impact for students and not just young students, but you know, all ages of students. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a deep believer in the mission of that. And I try and write about that. I try and be, I, look, I teach classes too. I try and be a, an educator, an approachable mm. educator, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I just want to say thank you for, for putting that out there. And, and thank you to the people who are listening because chances are many of them are educators too. Mm. And uh, we're in a, in a place in our culture and in our world where I just, I think that we need to support educators more and yeah. lead them. And yeah. so I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I've always thought some equivalent to thank you for your service for people who teach for a living yeah, or totally. educate yeah, for a I'm, living. Yeah, I'm married to teacher, so I know. Yeah. Like they're yeah, they're yeah, underappreciated yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's also a labor of love too. So uh, so yeah, so Rohit Bargava, uh, founder of the Non-Obvious Company, prolific author of Non-Obvious Guides, uh, including the non-obvious megatrends which is dropping uh soon in january uh be looking for it find it wherever you find books and uh thanks again for listening to trending in education we'll be back again soon